Amen. Thank you. Psalm 32 this evening. Psalm 32. There are notes that I prepared and printed. They are part of the music sheets that you may have picked up there on the table in the foyer. Perhaps you didn't recognize that, but if you need to sneak out and grab a copy of those printed notes, you're welcome to do that. Psalm 32 in your Bibles. We have all seen the label, hashtag blessed. And hashtag blessed was an internet sensation that became commonly used on social media. It's now a a pop culture icon. What does hashtag blessed mean? Perhaps you have the t-shirt or the sweatshirt or perhaps in your home there's a, a sign hanging hashtag blessed. It may express gratitude it may express genuine gratitude to God for, for your circumstances. And I will assume the best, and I will give you credit for that. Or it may project a, a shameless boast of your circumstances. If I post a picture of myself in an enviable situation, perhaps I'm sitting on the beach um, enjoying the sunset, while everyone else is shoveling their driveways, and I tag that picture, hashtag blessed, I'm letting everyone know that while I have a great life, your life is miserable. And if I am hashtag blessed, your circumstance isn't as good as mine. You may be hashtag cursed. And perhaps that's what it means this evening from Psalm 32. I would submit to you that hashtag blessed means hashtag forgiven. And the service has been heavy already this evening as we've, we've read and we've sung of, of sin and the consequences of it, but the greatest blessing, the greatest benefit, the greatest privilege, the greatest luxury that we could ever enjoy in our lives is God's forgiveness of our sin. Hashtag blessed is hashtag forgiven, I would submit, from Psalm 32. Let me pause briefly for prayer. God in heaven, we thank you so much for Jesus Christ. We thank you that there is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. We thank you that you have forgiven us of our sin. And Lord, we are truly blessed for that reason and that reason alone. But God, I pray that as we read of David's confession, Lord, as we study this psalm, that you would bless us in a perpetual way as we continually lay ourselves open and bare before you, seeking your forgiveness for our sin. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You have Psalm 32 open before you. Psalm 32 is titled, A Maskil of David, perhaps is how your Bible reads. What is a maskil? The Bible scholars aren't entirely sure. It appears to be a literary or a musical term, perhaps describing how the psalm is to be recited or how it's to be presented. Thirteen different psalms are titled Maskills. My New King James Version here translates it a contemplation, a psalm of David, a contemplation. Okay, then what is a contemplation or what is this maskill? A, a, a contemplation is the long, thoughtful consideration of a matter. 
And in this case, David is thinking upon and writing about his sin and the consequences of it. And we don't know the particular sin to which he refers. It may have been his adultery with Bathsheba. It may have been his murder of her husband Uriah. We could speculate about that sin, but it really doesn't matter because the conclusion of this mass skill or this contemplation of David isn't ultimately about his sin. It's about God's forgiveness of his sin. And so if you look at Psalm 32, verse number one, blessed is he. Look at verse number two, blessed is the man. I would offer you number one in your notes, God gives more than happiness. God gives more than happiness. And what is more than happiness? Blessing is more than happiness. Blessing or blessedness is something that is better than sitting on the, bench, the, the beach at sunset while everyone else is shoveling their driveways. Happiness is directly dependent upon the happening, but blessedness or blessing is something greater. And to the degree that our happenings satisfy our senses, we are happy. We win the game or we enjoy the meal or we take a vacation, hashtag happy. But if we are blessed, blessing is something different than happiness. Blessing is deeper than happiness. It is more than that. Blessing describes a state of well-being even if or when my circumstances are unhappy. For example, think of Mary, the mother of Jesus. The, The Gospel of Luke calls Mary, the mother of Jesus, blessed among women. But I assure you that Mary's circumstance wasn't necessarily a happy circumstance. From, her, from, from, the, from the conception of Jesus by the Holy Spirit to the crucifixion of Jesus, the hands of those Roman soldiers, Mary ca- carried a heavy weight. She experienced difficult circumstances, painful circumstances, and yet she was blessed among women. Mary's life was hard It was not easy to bear the Christ child. It was not easy to witness her her own son's crucifixion. And none of us would disagree with those things. But yet at the same time, she's blessed among women. And with God's blessing upon me, I can rest and find contentment and fulfillment in whatever God has ordained for my circumstance, whether or not I'm, I'm happy. I can be single and blessed. I can be married and blessed. I can be a widow or a widower and blessed. I can be with or without children and be blessed. I can be rich or poor, strong or weak, for God's blessing is more than happiness. God gives more than happiness. And so consequently, we need to pay close attention to the descriptive formulas in the Bible that say, blessed is the man, or as we pronounce it, blessed is the man. Blessed is the man. And, and I think of, of Psalm 1. Turn back quickly to Psalm 1. You're familiar with Psalm 1. Perhaps you've even memorized it. But Psalm 1 reads like this, blessed or blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. That speaks to our companionship and our counselors, verse two. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. That speaks to our attention to and our affection for God's word. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Blessed is the man. Psalm 1. 
There's another scripture that's familiar to us, and of course that would be Jesus' Beatitudes the, in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter five, and you don't need to turn there, but, but listen, you're familiar with these. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile you and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. That is not a happy circumstance, not a happy experience, but you can be blessed. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So here back in Psalm 32, David identifies the blessed man or the the blessed man is one to whom God gives more than happiness. Look at verses one and two again, Psalm 32. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. We are blessed with, or, or when, letter A, when, We know our sin. When we know our sin, letter A. Now, it was in the fifth century BC that the Greek philosopher Socrates said, know thyself. It was in the fifth century AD that the great theologian Augustine said, know thyself to be a sinner. Know thyself thyself to be a sinner. The Bible makes it clear that we're sinners and I think among us here this evening we recognize this and we would affirm what the Bible teaches in in Romans 3 that we are all under sin as it is right as it is written there is none righteous no not one. It says that we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 5 explains how that we've each inherited sin from Adam. Romans 6 and 7 explain how that we struggle with sin on a regular basis but nonetheless because our heart is deceitful above all things It's desperately wicked. Many times we fail to know our heart. We fail to know our sin. So it was that Benjamin Franklin wrote in his 1750 Poor Richard's Almanac, there are three things that are extremely hard, he said. Steal, a diamond, and to know oneself. And in our own self-deception, we fail to recognize our own sinfulness. But if we are going to experience blessedness or blessing, we must know our sin. And here in the text, David used three different words to describe his sin. They're synonymous, but they may have just a a bit of a nuance, and and I have them printed for you there in your notes. The first is transgression. There in in verse one, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. Transgression refers to an attitude of rebellion that results in a premeditated, presumptuous sin. Transgression is intentional sin. Because of your heart attitude, you intend to do what you do. That's transgression. Second is sin. And that's uh, there uh, at the, the second part of verse one, whose sin is covered. Sin is a general term that means missing the mark, to miss the mark. 
And it refers to the individual specific acts of wrongdoing against God or against another person. There's transgression, there's sin. And um, did you know that it was some years ago that the Oxford English Dictionary removed the word sin from the dictionary? Not all dictionaries. In this case, the Oxford English Dictionary, and here, here was the, the argument. They said, it has fallen into disuse and is not recognized by the younger generation. So they remove the word sin, but they add other words like selfie, you see. There's a great irony if you, if you think about that, removing sin and adding selfie. Transgression, sin, and then there's in verse number two, there's the word iniquity. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. The, the Hebrew word here means twisted or distorted and refers to the, the crookedness at the root of our nature. And this crookedness of nature leads to the intentional rebellion, the transgression, and in turn, our actual specific sin. And together, these terms leave no doubt about our sin. We're not just sinners because we sin, but we sin because we're sinners. We're sinners by nature. We are sinful by behavior. We are depraved. So how then can we, knowing this, be happy? Well, I submit that we're not happy. We're not happy about our sin, but rather we are blessed in knowing that our transgression is forgiven, verse one. Knowing our sin is covered, verse one. Knowing that our iniquity, verse number two, is not imputed, it's not charged to our accounts. And so God gives more than happiness when we know our sin or our sinfulness. And then that is realized, letter B, when we agree with God about our sin. When we agree with God about our sin. And I I really would point you to the phrase there at the end of verse number two and in whose spirit there's no deceits. It's an important phrase. Well, we do not cease from sin. We are no longer deceitful in acknowledging our sin. We, we no longer make excuses or deny the reality of our sin. We no longer deceive ourselves into thinking that we aren't as bad as the next person. Well, that actually wasn't sin. It was just you know, it, it was just less than that in some way. First John 1 verse eight, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. First John 1 verse number 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. First John 1 verse eight, first John 1 verse 10. We don't know those verses so well. We do know 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sin, if we agree with God about our sin, if we stop being self-deceived about our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 8, 9, and 10. You might jot in the margin there as a, as a good cross-reference to this subpoint letter B. It's in this way that we are Blessed. Folks, when we confess our sin, it's not as if we're turning ourselves in and informing God that we are guilty of a crime that has gone unsolved for so long. It's simply agreeing with God about what he knows already. He knows that to be the case. 
and so we agree with God about our sin. Proverbs 28, 13 says it best, he who covers his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. Hashtag blessed, hashtag mercy. Hashtag blessed, hashtag forgiven. This is what it means to be blessed. Maybe you're sitting on the beach enjoying the sunset. Maybe you're shoveling the snow out of your driveway. That circumstance is not the definition of blessing before God, but rather it's this in verses one and two. Now, if we fail to acknowledge our sin, if we fail to agree with God about our sin, number two, God allows more than heartache, more than heartache. God gives more than happiness in his blessing. Number two, God allows more than heartache. Verses three and four, when I kept silent, David says in his contemplation, he says, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. Selah. We don't necessarily even need to to read or say selah. It, It means to pause and think about this. Contemplate this. God allows more than heartache. First, letter A, heartache comes when we are silent about our sin. And if we refuse God's provision of blessing and happiness by, by not acknowledging our sinfulness, then we can be sure that God will provide heartache. And when David was silent, his conscience screamed. David's groaning in verse number three is a word. It's used of a, the, the roaring of a wounded animal. And so he... Though he was silent in his confession of sin, he couldn't silence the inner agony of his guilt. It's, it's like holding your breath. Have you ever held your breath to the point where you, you feel as though you may explode? And David's groanings were the consequence of his living with a smothered conscience. Like holding your breath until you're going to explode. If David's sin that he's referencing here in Psalm 32 is his sin with Bathsheba and his murder of Uriah. It was almost a year before he was confronted by the prophet Nathan and confessed his sin in 2 Samuel 11. For a year, David held his breath. For a year, his conscience groaned like that wounded animal. And unfortunately, the hiding and the harboring of our sin doesn't just eat away at our inner man in some abstract, metaphysical, spiritual way, but also it allows a full body ache, which is why I'm titling this God Allows More Than Heartache When We Are Silent About Our Sin the aging bones, you see this in verses three and four if you look at the text, the aging bones describe the physical stress on the, the, the human body. The heavy hand, what is that? You see that there? Verse um, four, day and night your hand was heavy upon me. Could that be David's description of, of a depression, a weight, the dryness there? Verse, end of verse four, it's, it's like the desperate thirst in the desert, perhaps speaking of dehydration. There was a physical 
aching because of David's silence about his sin. And folks, could it be that some of our ailments, whether emotional or mental or physical, are a result of our silence over our sin? Could it be that our psychological or our biological or our spiritual, let's not even bother to divide these, could it be that all of our being suffers because of our sin? I don't know how you read verses three and four and conclude otherwise. It was the famed psychiatrist Carl Menninger who once said that if he could convince the patients in psychiatric hospitals that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them would walk out the next day. Now, I don't know if that's true. And hear me carefully, I am not suggesting that every physical or mental illness is a consequence of sin. I'm not suggesting that everyone in the hospital is a case of Psalm 32. There is legitimate disease and there is legitimate physical illness. However, could it be that harbored sin triggers physical effects in our human bodies? And I, I think so. Just as emotional stress and anxiety and worry can affect your health, so also can the weight of sin. And at a minimum, at the very minimum, we would acknowledge that hidden and harbored sin, when you are silent before God about your sin, at a minimum, we would say it's a burden that's difficult to bear. The pilgrim in John Bunyan's dream, if you've read Pilgrim's Progress, his name, Christian, ultimately, the pilgrim in John Bunyan's dream traveled with great difficulty because of the load on his back. We know that load was sin. Until he came to the place of the cross, did his burden loose from off his shoulders and fall from his back. Pilgrim's Progress reads this way. Then was Christian glad and lightsome and said with a merry heart, he hath given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. It says that Christian gave three leaps for joy and went on singing. Here's his song. Thus far did I come loaden with my sin, nor could aught ease the grief that I was in. Till I came hither, what a place is this? Must here be the beginning of my bliss. Must here the burden fall from off my back. Must here the strings that bound it to me crack. Blessed cross, blessed sepulcher, blessed rather be the man that there was put to shame for me. So folks, I submit to you that unconfessed sin manifests itself in your life in a variety of, of ways, a groaning, a depression, a dehydration, a more than heartache, but a full body ache. And I think that's the testimony of David in Psalm 32 verses three and four. But there's good news for us here. Look at verse number five. I acknowledge my sin to you and my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. I'd offer you letter B. It departs, that is heartache departs when our sin is forgiven. 
God allows more than heartache. And, and whatever that is, more than heartache, body ache, it comes when we're silent about our sin, but it departs when our sin is forgiven. And that is a blessing. And David repeated the very same three words that he used for sin up in verse number one. He acknowledged his sin. He did not cover up his iniquity. He confessed his transgressions to the Lord. And, and I hope you see them all there in verse number five. The very terms from verses one and two are found there in verse number five. It was Hosea the prophet that said, return, O Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take words with you. Have you you ever heard maybe a parent say to their child, use your words, (laughs) right? Don't just pitch a fit and thrash about. Use your words, speak. Hosea the prophet says, take words with you, return to the Lord, say to him, forgive all your sins, or forgive all our sins and receive us graciously that we may offer the fruit of our lips. And folks, there is freedom and there's liberty and there's health and healing when our sins are confessed and forgiven. Proverbs 28, verse 13. You need to write the reference down. You need to know this well. Make it a life verse. He who covers his sin will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. If you don't prefer Proverbs 28, verse 13, 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So heartache or full body ache departs when our sin is forgiven. Number three, God provides more than help. God provides more than happiness. God allows more than heartache. God provides more than, than help. Look at verse number six. For this cause... Everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Knowing that the heartache of silence is removed with the confession of sin, we're told to pray. Use your words and pray. And God will help. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. It is a mistake to procrastinate or to postpone or delay for God will help. First letter A, God's protection is provided and offered. Verses six and seven, for this cause everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. You are my hiding place. You shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance. This is God's protection. And and David is presenting a word picture here of the rising waters following the heavy downpour of of a storm. And in the metaphor of a flood, God offers protection to those who go to him in confession and repentance. God is our hiding place. God's protection, letter B, God's instruction. God's instruction. Look at verses eight and nine. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with bit and bridle, else they will not come near you. God's protection is ultimately by means of God's instruction. And God is the speaker here at this point and he's giving the psalmist an answer to his prayer and he's saying, don't be like the stubborn animal, but listen to my instruction and I will guide you. God's instruction, verse 10. Many sorrows 
shall be to the wicked. But he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in hearts. I would, I would suggest letter C, God's redemption. God's redemption. And, and it's important here that I bring to bear some fuller theological understanding that our forgiveness is not based upon our confession or repentance. It's not based upon our work of contrition. But the forgiveness, this redemption is provided by God's son. And so if you'll put on your your theological thinking cap and move in your mind to the New Testament, Paul wanted to prove that one is saved Forgiven, not by their own works, but by God's grace. And so the Apostle Paul in the New Testament quoted from Psalm 32. And I want us to go there as as we conclude here in just a moment. Turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Romans 4, I've given you the reference there. I'd like to simply read, you look for the Apostle Paul's use of Psalm 32 now in Romans chapter 4. God is providing more than help, more than protection, more than instruction. He's providing redemption. Romans 4, verse number 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted or credited to him, imputed to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debts. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Here we go, verse six. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. What is Paul referencing here? Psalm 32, verse number seven. Romans four, verse number seven. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Does that sound like Psalm 32, verses one and two? It, it is. It is said of Martin Luther that one day when he was asked of which of all the Psalms were the best, Martin Luther answered, Psalmi Pallini. And when his friends pressed to know which he might which of these he might mean. He said Psalm 32, Psalm 51, the 130th, and the 143rd. For they all teach that forgiveness of our sins comes without the law, without works, to the man who believes. Therefore, I call them Pauline Psalms, or Psalmi Paulini. <laughs> You see, it's because of Jesus Christ, God's son, that forgiveness is provided. You say, well, Psalm 32 is in the Old Testament, right? Psalm 32 really has nothing to do with Jesus. You better believe it has something to do with Jesus. It has everything to do with Jesus. And for that reason, Paul cited this psalm, Psalm 32, to make his case for Abraham being justified by faith and you can read the rest of Romans chapter four on your own. I, I don't know where you're at this evening. There very well may be hidden or harbored sin in your life that you have not yet confessed. 
unless you confess that to the Lord and seek his forgiveness, then you cannot claim hashtag blessed. Next time you see on social media, online, or in some other place, hashtag blessed, it has nothing to do with sitting on a beach and watching sunset while everyone else is shoveling their driveway. It's not a matter of your material circumstance, but it's that you have been forgiven by God upon the confession of your sin because of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for the forgiveness we have in Jesus, his shed blood on the cross. We thank you for the power of the cross. And Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would examine us, try us, that your spirit and your word would drill down into the very core of our being and root out the hidden and the harbored sin that has gone unconfessed. Lord, we want your blessing We know that there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. Positionally, we're grateful for that. But Lord, may we be people that claim the power of the cross, not just for our eternal salvation, but for daily victory. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.